The sizzle of steak on the grill has my mouth watering. But isn't beef bad for the environment? And what about those plant-based alternatives? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week I talk with Amanda Radke, a longtime blogger for Beef Magazine about grilling, beef, the environment, and alternative meat. Radke is a rancher, mother, blogger, and advocate for the beef industry, so when you ask her questions, you get some great answers. She offers some solid information cattle producers can use when dealing with skeptics, and she shares an interesting story about her daughter, Scarlett, who is becoming a beef advocate herself. Let's check in and talk beef. Well, Amanda Radke, um, you're out in South Dakota, right? Out uh, in the lovely parts of the country, right? Yes, Mitchell, South Dakota. Uh, Great. That's a great area. Corn Palace. We all know that. Yeah. But uh, corn isn't really, corn is part of your life, but it's really not part of your life. Beef is your life, right? I mean, that's really what your focus is. And we're happy to have you on the Beef Magazine team and the Beef website to talk about beef issues. We're going into one of my favorite times of the year. Obviously, summer is always about grilling, but it's the 4th of July weekend. What should I be thinking about and how do you look at beef in the whole grilling universe? Well, you know, Americans love grilling and and it's been shown that Americans love beef and it's a way that we celebrate and treat ourselves, whether it's a you know, well-marbled ribeye or some steak kebabs or some juicy burgers. There's just really nothing more Americana, I think, than grilling with friends and family in the backyard. And there's just memories to be made and, and great food to be eaten. And I think it's something that a lot of us can get excited about. Pretty easy to grill steak. Okay, what's your favorite grilled steak meal? What, what cut are you using when you really want to have that dream meal off the grill? It's pretty hard to beat a ribeye, but right now my family's kind of into to steak kebabs. We marinate them in salsa and call them, uh, my daughter calls them firecracker kebabs, and they're pretty good with peppers and onions. Oh, that's pretty, that's an interesting idea. I guess I never thought of that. That is also a pretty easy cut of beef to get right now, which is pretty good because we've also had that issue in the marketplace, getting our selection choices. Although I was in the grocery store just a few days ago, and I had plenty of choices for beef that I could have picked up if I wanted to grill. Right now, the price is a challenge. How do you answer that question? I mean, how do we answer that as an industry that, you know, something that was maybe six bucks a pound is now 14 bucks a pound? How do we deal with that? It's really challenging, I think, for consumers, especially when they're on a budget and trying to feed their family and be responsible with their money. And, you know, they can see that bag of chicken breasts and it's pretty consistent in price and taste and everything. And then there's that beef product that now is a little more expensive and maybe they're uncertain how to grill it as well. So there's maybe that confidence issue too. Um, But I would encourage folks to look for some of the budget-friendly cuts, whether it's the ground beef products or like a a chuck steak would be an alternative to a ribeye that would give you the same uh, great rich flavor for for less buck. Look for those discounted prices or or some of those cheaper cuts that can still give you the best bang for your buck. And and when in doubt, if you can find a way to buy in bulk, that's usually uh, the best way to to spread your dollar and, and get beef regularly in, into your diet. Well, that's important. You know, you you've been a longtime advocate, obviously, for beef, and you talk about beef in the diet. And there are often questions about, oh, I should be cutting back on red meat. How do you look at that conversation and how do you answer that question if someone challenges you on that uh, red meat percentage in the diet? 
So this is something I get really excited to talk about because beef actually has an incredible nutritional story to share. Uh, it's truly a superfood and it's packed with 10 essential nutrients, including zinc, iron, and protein. What's more, new research has come out from the American College of Cardiology that says, hey, we think that the previous guidelines saying that saturated fats should be avoided in order to curtail, you know, your risk for heart disease. That was inaccurate. And so we're kind of giving people permission to enjoy the rich foods of life that our grandparents enjoyed and our ancestors thrived on. I love telling people to eat the yolk and drink the cream and enjoy that fatty ribeye and and do so without guilt, knowing that it's going to provide you with satiety, it's going to be satisfying, it's going to fuel your brain and build muscles and do all these great things for you that help uh, power you through your day. And, and plus, it just tastes good. I get excited about it. And I think we just have to kind of reverse 40 years of, of information that's been out there that's told us that we should feel bad about eating, you know, red meat in the diet. Right. I think that, what is it, the Nutrition Coalition has been really advocating because the food pyramid is still relatively controversial because of these comments about fats and saturated fats, which lead people to think one thing when in fact the science is saying something else, right? Right. So the 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans are in the works right now. And historically, the committee has really pushed a plant-based or really centered around grains and fruits and vegetables and really tried to push society away from animal products. And I point out that since the inception of the dietary guidelines, our obesity rates have gone up as well as uh, obesity-related diseases. We are seeing a growing movement of people who are kind of turning against the grain, so to speak, and really embracing um, more low-carb and high-protein type diets and they're thriving and they're reversing diabetes. And so it's really cool to see some of those stories come to light and, and see people getting really excited about eating beef again. But one more note, I, I should say, I encourage everyone to get engaged as these dietary guidelines are shaped and created and make sure your comments are heard because these dietary guidelines impact daycares and schools and nursing homes and assisted living and the military and hospitals. So you and I might be able to ignore the, the dietary guideline recommendations on a regular basis, but when it comes down to it, those nutritional policies really impact a lot of people in the United States. Well, and for the farmers listening to the podcast, this is going to impact your pocketbook. If you're raising cattle or hogs and they take meat out of the diet or reduce it, that's going to hurt your business and, and inaccurately because, like you say, there's quality in these proteins and the iron, good heavens, the vitamin complex in these meats is very important, and I think taking them out of the diet is probably not the best. Best move. And there is a public comment period, I think, at USDA. And if you go to USDA.gov, I think you can track that down pretty easily. I want to back up a minute. You made a comment that sometimes people may not know how to cook beef. I've, I've kind of had mm -hmm. some laugh over this. We're trapped at home and we're all learning to cook again, though some of us right. never stopped. So now I'm stuck at home and I've got I've got this nice cut of beef. I got a good chuck steak or I found some sh some shoulder cut. Maybe I got a flat iron. What do you recommend I do if I'm going to put it on the grill? or if I'm, what, what are tips you might offer some of those people who want to eat some good beef? So the first thing I would tell folks is to visit the Beef It's What's for Dinner website. It's a checkoff-funded program and website, and it's got all kinds of great recipes and preparation tips for every cut of beef that's out there. So if you have a hankering for something, chances are if you go to that website, there's going to be instructions for how to select the cut for the recipe, how to prepare that cut. 
and give you some inspiration and some confidence as you go and make those selections at the meat case. Um, and then I would tell people, you know, it's just to, to ask a rancher too. There's no one better that knows how to cook beef than the guy who raises it. And so we've got lots of tips and tricks and, and it's a great way to kind of connect urban and rural communities too. And I've got to brag on my daughter. She's six and she's been volunteering as a South Dakota junior beef ambassador. And so when the pandemic hit and we were homeschooling, she started making uh, video tutorials of herself in the kitchen cooking beef recipes. And uh, she's made uh, pizza meatballs and roast beef deli roll-ups and, oh gosh, what else? Oh, the steak kebabs. And, and she just uh, does little tutorials that are kid-friendly and she's gotten a lot of great feedback. And so anytime producers can get out on social media and kind of showcase their best recipe ideas or try to make the lives of consumers a little bit easier by giving them some meal ideas. I think that's a really beneficial thing that we can do. How do I find those videos? If I really wanted to go look at your daughter cook, where would I find those? Sure. So I usually share her videos on my face, my personal Facebook page, but she's been doing it with the South Dakota Beef Industry Council. So they do all the editing and and create the videos. And so you can visit their Facebook page or their YouTube channel and, and find her there. Fantastic, because I think people would want to check that out. That'd be really cool. I want to turn the conversation a tiny bit. Um, one of the advocates or the promotions here that people are um, pushing against beef is they talk about the environmental impact of, of livestock, beef, greenhouse gases, and the whole story. How do we answer that? How do we as an industry answer those questions? If we're engaged, if we're a rancher and we get called out uh, somewhere, how do I answer that? Uh, you know, as a rancher, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table and I'm looking out the back window and there's cattle grazing peacefully on the pasture and there isn't any smog in sight. So from a cheeky standpoint, I sometimes get frustrated that this is a misconception or a myth that we constantly have to tackle. But the truth of the matter is, is that the, the cow farts myth has been planted in society. And if you repeat it enough times, it kind of becomes uh, truth in a way. And so I think it's really important that we repeat and repeat often the true facts, which is the U.S. beef industry is 10 to 50 times more climate friendly um, than any other country in the world. We contribute less than 4% of total greenhouse gas emissions, talking about just the beef industry. If every American were to go meatless on Mondays, like many um, activists suggest, um, we would curtail our greenhouse gas emissions by less than a half of a percentage point. And, and I'm saying rough figures here. And if you want the exact numbers, you can go to EPA. But in contrast, when we look at the largest contributors, it's, it's largely energy, um, fossil fuels, transportation, electricity. And when I tell people if they truly want to make a dietary change in order to impact the planet in a positive way, the one change that I would encourage people to make is to reduce food waste because 40% of all the food we grow here in the United States today ends up wasted and in landfills. And so if we respect the harvest, um, we're going to go a long ways in um, making a dietary change that actually has a long-lasting impact. And I think it should be observed that during the last three months of the quarantine in major cities, the air cleared up pretty well, and there were not fewer cattle in the field. So I think that's a fair observation that maybe there's a different correlation to greenhouse gases than the mamas that are out there raising calves. And even the feedlot industry has done a good job of cleaning up its act in the, in the processing side. We're going to turn one more step um, in the conversation, and it's an area that you've written about quite a lot. It's an area that um, 
I get concerned about in the way I watch things unfold in, in our environment and also, you know, in the society. And that is the, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, meat alternatives. Let's go with that. I think that's a good phrase. Um, I'm going to read you something that was at the Consumer Electronics Show that uh, surprised me. I have this picture and I will post this picture as part of this podcast. It'll be the highlight image with the podcast. It's a phrase that's this. Our mission is to completely replace animals in the global food system. Science and nature working together to make meat better, delicious, nutritious, and sustainable. Join the movement. Upgrade your life. Choose Impossible. That would be, of course, the Impossible Food Company that's out there with a plant-based product. It is a tasty product, to be honest. I have tried it. What do you think about this? This is a company that's whole purpose is to get rid of your industry. Apparently, their product uh, can only be sold if you're out of business. Right. You know, it was just a week or two ago that they came out and said that they absolutely think that the beef industry will be obsolete within 15 years, which I challenge every person that's listening to this to go get the double or triple cheeseburger today instead of the single burger and and let's prove them wrong. But, you know, I, I think it's really important when we have these conversations to kind of include the caveat that as beef producers, we, we love competition. I love competing with other protein sources in the meat case. I know that beef tastes good and it can compete against chicken and poultry and seafood. And, and we have this healthy competition to give consumers choice and to give them freedom when they go in the grocery store to pick what tastes good and what they enjoy as a family. What bothers me about these companies is they're doing two things. And the first is they're disparaging our products and, and using a smear campaign to elevate their status in the marketplace. I and mean, so the integrity maybe isn't there and, and they're making some false claims in order to market to consumers instead of standing on their own merits. Uh, the second thing that they're trying to do is while they're damaging our reputation, they're trying to steal our nomenclature. So they want to label their products as burgers or sausage or chicken nuggets and and you know have the little vegan v in the corner very hardly visible so they're almost trying to take away consumer transparency as well and so my big push is is let's compete let's label it clearly and let's let the consumers uh, decide for themselves what they want to eat and i have a feeling if we do that and make it a even playing field that beef is going to do just just fine in the marketplace that makes sense. And there are people that have chosen to have a plant-based lifestyle. And if they do, good for them. And these are alternatives if they feel that the flavor is good. I guess if you go to a plant-based lifestyle, I'm not sure why you want meat meat flavors, but that's a different yeah. story. <laughs> it confuses me, Amanda. I'm just saying. But on the other side of it, if that's a choice, that's fine. Just don't make it your religion or try to make it mine. I think that may be the right. com comment that a lot of ranchers would agree with and a lot of consumers, too. So that's cool. I just want to thank you for your time. Amanda Radke is a longtime columnist with Beef Magazine and at beefmagazine.com. Uh, she's in the newsletter, Beef Daily, uh, several times a week. So if you're not signed up for that, you can go to beefmagazine.com and subscribe to the newsletters. Amanda Radke, great to talk to you. Happy grilling um, and good luck with your daughter and her Thanks. future career as a YouTube star. Yeah, she's gunning for my job, I think. We'll see. So she might be blogging for you soon enough. <laughs> well, take care. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. A few grilling tips, some insight on environmental issues, and thoughts on beef competitors. There's a lot happening in this industry, and we thank Amanda Radke for her perspective. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast, looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. 
The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. They're worth checking out. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And of course, the Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.